This episode of The Chris Johnston Show is brought to you by Sports Interaction. Sports Interaction is your homegrown sports book where local takes on an entirely different meaning, focusing on the teams, games, and players that matter to you. Sports Interaction is on the ground, on top of all the local trends, and offering prop bets that you'd never even imagine existed, from same-game parlays to a best-in-class casino featuring thousands of games and live 24-7 dealers. And now introducing The Locker Room, the first of its kind in Canada, a live watch party for the biggest games of the week. Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook. Go to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN to open an account. Bet local. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. And if you have questions or concerns about gambling or the gambling of someone close to you, please go to connexontario.ca. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? Powered by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook. Always remember to bet local. Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Packed show today, CJ. Uh, you're back from Seattle. Got a ton of questions about what was discussed this week from the NHL Board of Governors meetings. Uh, Ian Mendez and I wrote a story about uh, in-season tournaments, p- the possibility if NHL players would want that. And I know Gary Bettman was asked about that this By week. By me? Yes. Thank you, CJ. I didn't even know you were working on that story. It just It's just synergy. It just worked out that way. <laughs> Literally, we we're about to file that story. And uh, uh, the editor I work with was like, yeah, we got to add this part. And I was like, oh, that's hella convenient. So thank you, CJ, for making that story even better. Stick tap to you for this week. Um, Patrick Kane, Jacques Martin, a few other stories going around. But uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, have put uh, John Klingberg on LTIR. His season's definitely over. Sorry, he's already been on LTIR, right? Like that's that's I, I may have confused that a bit, but his season's over. He's about to get hip surgery it's it's what can we make sense of of that situation and what could be next for the Toronto Maple Leafs with regards to to John Klingberg and their defensive situation yeah basically the news is is he's elected for surgery it's probably going to happen somewhere around the end of December um you know typically hip surgery six months recovery so even best case scenario you know he's he's hopefully going to be healthy and ready to continue his career starting next season and and we'll see where he he is at that point because he's going to be a free agent this summer Mm -hmm. You know, in the meantime, the Leafs have games to play, and you know they're they're down. Mark Giordano, who's got a broken finger, Timothy Lilligren's out on their blue line uh, with a high ankle sprain presently. And and you know while the Leafs have put together some points, uh, it's pretty clear when you're using your seventh, eighth, and ninth, or eighth, ninth, and tenth defenseman, at least when what the the depth chart was entering the year, that you're going to be looking to make moves. And so I think that's that's where the Leafs are at. Um, you know, Brad Treliving is is probably talk to every and any GM that, that may or may not have a defenseman to move. And I think that that's the source of some of the, the rumors you've seen out there. Um, doesn't sound at this moment, uh, obviously anything can change with one phone call or one change of heart in, in the rival front office. But I, you know, I don't have any reason to believe that Leafs are making a trade this second and, 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 you know, but, but they, they've, They've got a lot of impetus to try to make one here in these next three months and, and improve their blue line. I think it's something what they would have looked to do already, but they also want to be careful about what they're giving up. And, and um, you know, we've seen the past regime in Toronto, and, and I don't think this is a criticism of them by any stretch, but give up a lot of assets for rental players. Um, and, and obviously none of those seasons resulted in the Leafs doing what they wanted to do, lifting the Stanley Cup. And so 
the, the downstream effect of that is I think that Brad Living, as he starts his tenure here in Toronto, wants to be careful with, with what he's giving up, what he's getting back. And that might lead to a longer lag time between now and when he's able to make that trade because, um, you know, we saw the Nikita Zadorov deal, but it's not as though there's the, the spout hasn't been turned on to 10 out of 10 here in terms of player movement just yet. But it seems like in terms of speculation, it's it's very much on. Last week, we were talking about whether or not Toronto and Calgary make sense. Philadelphia has emerged as a possible trading partner. What about some of these rumored destinations that are out there? What can you say about what's out there? What's true? What's not? It seems like it's always going to be, I mean, in, in our business, of course, there's always going to be speculation. Sure. Well, let's talk about the two teams in general. Calgary and Philadelphia both have defensemen that are likely going to be moved by March 8th. Um, you know, very, very likely to be moved by March 8th. And so I think it's natural to tie the teams together. Um, you know, the Leafs did have interest in some kind of Zadorov Tanev package that didn't come to fruition largely because of, you know, what it would cost to account for the fact that the Leafs couldn't take on the full salaries uh, or full salary, at least of, of those players just straight up in a, in a more traditional hockey trade like we used to have about 25 years ago. But the cap obviously complicates things. You know, Philadelphia is in an interesting spot. They're, you know, as we're recording this today, they're actually in playoff position, but I think that they're realistic at the management and, and ownership level about where this year is likely headed, that they they still probably are, you know, going to be a team that we'll view as a seller as a deadline comes. And and so, you know, they have pending UFAs uh, like Nick Sealer and Sean Walker, um, you know, that will come into focus in the trading period. And then you've also got uh, Rasmus Ristolainen, who's, you know, still got to three years on his contract after this one, um, you know, but at this point in time, uh, I think Philadelphia is willing to at least entertain eating some of the remaining salary on his contract. And so, you know, I think it would make sense for the Leafs to at least explore to see if there might be a fit there. And, and I think that that's the source of the rumors. I, I don't know that, I don't, I don't think we should be overhyping a Ristolina to Toronto deal, if I'm being honest. I, I mean, in the CJ show chat, that seems to be somehow that's become a fixation. I don't know where yeah. it's coming from. Like I always laugh, like sometimes, you know, Steve or Adam or, or Jesse, whoever will, will be in the chat, like, Hey, is this happening CJ? And I'll be like, well, okay, where are you getting that? Like, is this from the dark corners of the internet? Is this from your buddy who heard it at his, like his beer league hockey game? Or did, did, you know, did Darren Drager report that somewhere? Like sometimes I don't know where the source of the rumors that get thrown into the chat are. Um, but you know, as best as I can tell, you know, I think that it, I, I can't rule out the potential fit there because Ristolainen on some level ticks some of the boxes. I think the Leafs are looking for a defenseman, but you know, there's also still a long road to travel here. I mean, if, if you could tell me what everyone's record was going to be in the NHL on February 25th, I could tell you with a little more certainty, you know, the kind of defenseman I think that, that, you know, could be coming to the Leafs. I mean, it, it's not to say it will necessarily take that long for a trade to materialize, but let's face it. That's when a lot of the, the action happens. And so, yes, uh, Rastis Ristolainen is a player whose name is out there a little bit in trade talk. The Leafs are a team that needs a defenseman, but I, I don't know that we need to read into it any deeper than that, at least at this stage. What's the rush, everyone? Why does everyone want all these trades to happen now? I don't know. It's, it's funny. Like I'm, and you, you're in the same spot. Like I, I've yeah. always found this so weird. Like everybody wants to know what all the deals are. I'm like, the deadline is in three months and one day. And we've all done this long enough or seen how the pace usually goes. Like it's usually not until pretty close to that deadline itself that most of the action happens. I mean, last year, actually, there was a fair bit 
in advance. But even then, we're talking three weeks in advance, not three months in advance. And so, yeah, <laughs> it's just it's just a funny it's just a funny kind of thing where I think everyone's anxious. Uh, you know, maybe there's a broader topic here, Julian. Maybe part of it is even what you're saying, like the NBA's introduced this in season tournament to sort of spice up the season. Maybe maybe this is partially a response to people just finding the season a little bit monotonous or you know, the same, the same looking to switch it up. I, I don't, I don't know where it comes from, but um, you know, I don't want to be out here saying there's going to be no trades that are happening. We've, we've seen two in the last week. There's a minor deal with Eric Robinson going from Columbus to, to Buffalo uh, on, on Wednesday. And so, yes, there, there is some movement in the marketplace, but I mean, if we could go team by team through the league and, and determining who's going to be a true buyer and seller at the deadline is very difficult. I mean, there's five or six definites on both sides of the equation, but that still leaves 20 teams in the middle. And, 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 you know, we just can't say what they're going to be until we get much closer. Don't give uh, producer drew any ideas with that buyer seller segment. Well, that, I'm that, all that's for a, that that's segment. A good idea. <laughs> I'm all for that segment, but we're not doing it before February. No, no, because it's way too early. It would be a boring segment as you lift it off 20 teams and I'll be like on the fence or whatever, or like to be yeah, determined. Exactly. Um, but you know, I think as we get into February, that, that segment makes a lot of sense and people want to know, and, and we've seen teams pivot, right? Last year, Washington, we would not have had them this far out as a seller. And, and they ended up selling some players, Dmitry Orlov, you know, as, as they got towards the deadline, because they, they determined they were far enough out of it and it was the right thing to do at that time. So uh, I'm just saying there, there are lots of swing teams. I'll give you just off the top of my head. I mean, I haven't fully done this exercise yet, but like, look at a team like Seattle, for example, I mean. They played in the second round of the playoffs last year. It's been a difficult start to the year. They've got four or five pretty interesting pending unrestricted free agents, guys like Jordan Eberle, Justin Schultz, Alex Wenberg. Like, I, I, we can't say what they're going to be doing now, but as it gets closer, if they become a team that decides to be a seller, they've got some pretty interesting pieces to sell. Um, you know, Minnesota's had a roar back since, uh, you know, changing coaches with, you know, John Hines taking over. I mean, whether or not they buy or sell, it, it could be, I think it could go either way, depending what happens here. And so we could go through a whole bunch of the league in the same manner. I mean, Detroit had a conversation with Patrick Kane that, hey, if we're way out of it by the deadline, we'll probably look to trade you. Is that okay when he signed with them? But, you know, on the day that Patrick Kane's making his debut with the Red Wings, you know, they're in playoff position. They, they don't want to be a seller, but they just might, the situation might dictate what they do. And, and so... Anyway, I'm, I'm ranting a little bit. Tyson Berry, I mean, another name that comes to mind who is looking for greener pastures out of Nashville, also pending UFA. The team could also, if they're in a situation, you know, to sell, they could do that with him too, right? You're right. And I mean, at least his situation is somewhat different because he was scratched from a game on the weekend and, you know, he, and the fit just isn't there hockey-wise. I think, I think the Predators really like Barry. You know, they even believe there might have been some talk last summer about extending him potentially uh, as he entered his, his U, potential UFA year. But obviously he doesn't want to be sitting on the sidelines or, or not being used in the right way to, to put his best foot forward this season. And so that one might be different because the team might accommodate almost the player's wishes to some degree. So maybe that's a trade that happens sooner. But, you know, I don't think that Nashville's all that anxious to retain salary on Tyson Berry. So if they're not doing that, how many teams can take him at full value this far out from the deadline? I mean, there's, there's so many dynamics at play, um, but you know, that could be a trade that happens a little sooner just because I think that they've, they're, they're, they're having an open dialogue now. Like, Hey, you, you, it might be best for you to move on. It might be best for us to move you on. And, and so that, that one's a little different. 
Um, but I'm with you. Yeah, it's it's we're all over the place. I mean, the Leafs, I'm sure, in a perfect world, I mean, to, to bring it back there, would love to add a player or two at this point in time. But even with John Klingberg on LTIR and you look at their cap situation, I mean, they don't have oodles of cap space there. I mean, um, you know, because at some point they will activate Timothy Lilligren back from from his injury. You know, they'll send a couple of the players that are currently in their lineup down to the Marlies, presumably, assuming they ever get fully healthy. That's the other thing. Sometimes you project like this is what will happen when the team gets fully healthy and the team never gets fully healthy for one reason or another. There's other injuries or players in and out. Um, but the Leafs, the Leafs aren't loaded here with tons of cap space either. So they, they're, you know, really when you're looking at it, potential moves they make, it's not necessarily going to be for a rental because I, I don't know that they want to be in that market so much. And it's got to be a salary where it works for both sides of a deal. And, and the truth of the matter is when you're, when you're dealing with those dynamics, it's easier to make trades the closer you get to March 8th. And so as we sit here on the morning of December 7th, it's not easy to make a trade right now unless you, you maybe want to make a bad one. Uh, we will give your brain a break when it comes to trades. Uh, we'll get to sports interaction and we'll talk about a few other topics. I, I promise we will give your brain a break when it comes to the world of moving and shaking. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I'm snippy about it. It's it, Look, it, I get that it drives interest. No, I don't mind that you're snippy about it at all. It makes the show all the more entertaining that you are. And I'll say this. we were, you know, I was just in Seattle at the Board of Governors meeting. There's a lot of general managers that, that attend those meetings on behalf of their teams. Uh, I do know that, that you know, some trade talk does go on there. It's just a chance to sit down face-to-face, right? I mean, I, I should have followed up on this, but, but two of the GMs that were there were Kevin Adams from Buffalo and Yarmo Kekalainen from Columbus, and then they make a deal the next day. I mean, maybe, maybe some of the seeds were planted in, in conversations that happened face-to-face. So, I mean, it's not as though the trade talk isn't happening. I just I don't know that there's an, the urgency behind the scenes to it that there is – it seems from some people out there that just want to see like, give me trades, give me trades, give me fuel, give me fire, give me trades that I desire. That's pretty, that's, that's a bar. That is a bar. That's pretty good. That's, that's I, pretty I good. just thought of that. I mean, I'm, I'm, let's yeah, workshop it, it, it but... straight off the dome, straight off the dome. You got it. Would you <laughs> but, like a Shohei Otani corner before we end the show today? Yeah. I mean, if you want to just keep me fired up, then, then let's get into Shohei and the Jays. Let's get to, you can bet that first. It's all part of the Welcome to You Can Bet That. Remember to hit up sportsinteraction.com slash STPN for all of your gaming needs. Uh, earlier this week, we looked at who could be the first coach to be fired. It's only right we look at who could be the best coach at the end of the year. Jack Adams award-winning odds. Uh, Rick Tockett, the betting favorite at 6-1. to one. Peter Laviolette at 9-1. to one. Greg Cronin in Anaheim at 10-1. to one. You can find the full list on the Sports Interaction website I, I gave you three names there but uh, tom mcclellan's also up there bruce cassidy's also up there Derek lalonde in detroit is also up there what say you about uh some of the names i mentioned and who do you think could win the jack adams award well narrative always plays a huge role in this award it feels like and so when you've got a coach that takes over a struggling team and and they have a big bounce back which is where rick Tockett is so far with vancouver for example that tends to be a good one um, you know, usually a team that surprises that, that the coach there, you know, rightfully gets credit for that. And so, you know, it, it seems in this league, it, that someone saying Bruce Cassidy's role, like if, when, if, or when Vegas continues to have a great regular season, they're going to be like, yeah, well, you won the cup last year. And, and, you know, so it, it's hard to win out of that seat. And so I, I like, I kind of like the way that you've gone with the odds here. I mean, I, I think 
Tockett would be an excellent choice and and an easy choice, assuming the Canucks season, you know, finishes as, as strongly as it started uh, this year. And obviously he, he did get some games at the end of last season uh, when they, when they made that, the change there, but you know, this is uh, his first full year behind the bench. I mean, you wonder if, you know, it, maybe even like an in-season change, like we've seen, you know, if, if John Hines keeps having success in, in Minnesota and that team climbs up after being uh, way back at the playoff race, I mean, he could, he could be sort of a, the kind of candidate, but that's, that's what I look for when it comes to this award. It feels like if you entered the season as a team that everyone thought was going to be really good, doesn't matter how good you are. There's no way uh, to, to go and win the, the Jack Adams award. So you know, those are a couple of dynamics to keep in mind. Uh, for everyone watching, don't get mad at CJ and I for the voting of that. We do not have a say on who wins the Jack Adams award. Just yes. want that clear for everybody. Yes, exactly. So this is this is not me. Uh, I, I have no influence here. It's just uh, observing it over many, many years. It's it so often that the coach, unfortunately, that wins the Jack Adams gets fired the next season because his team drops back to earth. And that's just kind of the nature of the award. In some ways, you might not want to win it. You'd rather just settle for the cup at the end. Yeah, that's true. Sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all the best odds before game, in game, and the best props. Sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. This episode of the Chris Johnston Show is brought to you by Factor. This bustling holiday season, you might be looking for nutritious, flavorful, just, you know what, meals that'll just save you some time on jam-packed days. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, and they can help you eat well for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You will save time and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while tackling all of your holiday to-dos. And I know your to-do lists are going to be long. You can cross meal prepping off of your list this holiday season with Factor. Skip the meal planning, the grocery shopping, the chopping, the prepping, and cleaning up, and get Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals delivered to your door. They are ready in just two minutes, so literally all you have to do is heat those bad boys up and enjoy them. They're not just for dinner either. Uh, you can count on extra convenience any time of the day with an assortment of 55-plus add-ons to suit various preferences and tastes. You can choose from quick breakfast items, lunch to go, grab-and-go snacks, cold-pressed juices, shakes, and smoothies. Factor's got it all. You can head to factormeals.com slash Johnston50 and use code Johnston50 to get 50% off. This episode of The Chris Johnston Show is brought to you by SeatGeek. With over 28 million downloads, SeatGeek is the number one rated ticketing app. There are more than 70,000 events every single day on SeatGeek, including concerts, sports, festivals, and more. The NFL and NHL seasons are in full swing. The NBA as well. They're going through the in-season tournament right now. Quarterfinal games are going on this week. SeatGeek has your tickets to every single game. Plus, if you want to go to concerts, Travis Scott's on tour. Zach Bryan's on tour. A lot of people obviously are going to want Taylor Swift tickets for whenever she goes on tour next. SeatGeek has you covered. They put all the tickets across the web in one place to make sure you're getting a good deal. And each ticket is rated on a scale of 1 to 10. So look for the green dots. Green means good. Red means bad. And every ticket is backed by their buyer guarantee. SeatGeek is the only website that lets you return your ticket ahead of the event thanks to swaps. Johnston is the code you need to get $20 off tickets at SeatGeek. That's $20 off your first purchase with the promo code Johnston. Make sure you click the link in the description to download the app.
CJ, Board of Governors meeting was this week in Seattle. Some topics, some news lines, some news stories, some headlines came out of that. What do you think was the most interesting thing to come out of uh, this week's events? Well, I mean, we, we've kind of known for a while now the Sphere was likely going to host the 2024 NHL draft. So that was the most newsy item, but I, I don't think it came as a surprise. You know, maybe the biggest takeaway for me or, or the, the, the feeling I was left with is this was, you know, the first time it felt like the 2026 Winter Olympics are becoming less of a certainty. And, you know, that might just be a product of the fact that all the arrangements aren't made and, and we're now a couple of months closer since NHL has last spoken about this in a you know public manner. And, and so, you know, that does create that, you know, the deadlines are approaching and if things aren't resolved, um, you know, create some issues, but you know, the, the way Gary Batman spoke about concerns about the arena construction um, that, that's supposed to be happening in Milan and basically the lack of progress there. And the fact that they're, they're dealing with some pretty tight timelines in terms of finishing that building um, you know, you still don't have deals on, on insurance for players and, and, you know, things like the, who's picking up the expenses and, and what the travel looks like for players, families who could come over. And so, you know, it just felt like there was a little bit of doubt introduced to the process. And, and I don't want to torque it too much farther than that because, you know, Bill Daly did also have a, a quote and he said, he's not pessimistic at all. So like, it wasn't absolute, like this isn't going to happen, but it was the first time it's like, well, wait a minute. Don't just assume because all the top players in the league are coming out in strong favor here and that there's these conversations happening to make a deal that there's going to be a deal. And so that, that might be my, my biggest story that I'm like, uh oh, this, this, maybe it's sort of like PTSD from all the years before, whether it was, you know, players supposed to go in, in 2022 and having that scuttled by a pandemic or, the talks before 2018 and ultimately um, you know, no athletes, no NHL athletes were sent over for that. So it just felt a little familiar. Like don't get your hopes up just yet. Okay. Uh, but the idea of a, uh, a four nations cup, uh, speaking of international best on best, anything, because we, we need that. Uh, what do you think of that tournament idea? Uh, the, it looks like it's actually going to happen 2025 before we get to any world cup of hockey or Olympic stuff, but just something to kind of hold us over until we get there. What do you think? Yeah, it definitely feels like a stopgap. Like I'm, I'm curious to see how exciting it will be or how much energy will be generated around it. I mean, look, there's a couple issues with doing an in-season tournament in February, 2025, which is when they're talking about for this one is that the European federations and the leagues over in Europe, their seasons are still going. So if you're a team like Finland, I mean, the truth is, and there's a lot of great Finnish players in the NHL, but it, it's it's a bit of a stretch for them to fill out an entire team just from NHL players. And certainly if you go to other nations sort of beyond Finland in the international pecking order, whether that's Czechia, Slovakia, Switzerland, Germany, I mean, these countries just couldn't send a team made up comprised of entirely players currently playing in the NHL. And so I think the league was challenged by the fact that they don't have you know, buy-in and, and obviously it's, this is also, we're talking about something that's going to happen in 14 months, presumably. So it's, there's not a lot of time to plan this, but you don't have the other leagues making players available. So this is, this is sort of like a half measure kind of tournament. Now I've also been banging the table in front of me multiple times saying, I want to see best on best and what a Canada, us, Sweden, Finland tournament will give us. Well, it's going to give us at minimum one Canada, us game and probably multiple games, depending on how they structure the tournament itself. Um, you, so you're going to get a best on best that, that, you know, more than likely includes all of, you know, Crosby, McKinnon, 
McDavid, Marner, you know, Matthews, the Kachucks, like, like you're going to get those games. And while they might not be on the, the level or the stage, you'd wish to see them that being, you know, for me, the winter Olympics, but, but even something that's a little bit more of a true best on best world cup style. I mean, I, I want to be careful what I wish for, but yeah, it feels, it's going to feel a little bit like an exhibition. I think, I think, but I guess I won't know entirely till we get there. And, you know, there's also some worry or concern, you know, we're leaving a lot of the NHL's best players completely out of this event because they come from other countries other than those four. And, and, you know, I think the league did want to try to look at ways to maybe involve them, but ultimately when those discussions happen with the players association, you know, there's, there wasn't a natural way to involve those players. I mean, I, it is give your, you know, don your hat, doff your cap to team Europe back in the 2016 world cup, getting to the final against team Canada, you know, and I think that team did have a special energy and, and like found made that work. I, I think that, you know, if you're a player, whether you're David Pasternak and you're from Czechia or Anze Kopitar from Slovakia or Leon Dreisaitl from Germany. And, and of course we could go through the league. There's lots of great players from other places. I think you want to represent your country. And if there's not a way to do so, you'd probably rather take that week of vacation or, or, you know, some time in the season to have downtime while that tournament's contested. So um, it's, it's 30% of the way to the real thing for me, give or take, but that 30% is more than we can say we've really had. Um, but I should remind you, there's also a world hockey championship every May. Um, and there'll be another one this May. And the problem is it gets overshadowed for those based in North America, you know, by the Stanley cup playoffs, but you know, you are seeing pretty high level hockey in those tournaments. And, and, you know, a lot of countries do send their best. It's just harder for Canada and the U S to do so because inevitably their players are injured after a season or still involved in the playoffs back here in North America. Do you think like, because the tournament doesn't have the same prestige as an Olympics or even a world cup of hockey that, and especially since it's a one-off too, in 2025 in the middle of the season, say who's a really good player. We could think of say Mitch Marner gets invited to play for team Canada, but he's like, you know what? Nah, I want to just rest up for that week long or however long it is because I'm trying to help the Leafs actually win a Stanley cup this year. Do you see NHL players doing that? No, I do not. I mean, there might be one somewhere, a fringe player, but I, I still think ultimately if Hockey Canada is phoning you up and saying, we want you to play in our best on best anyway, we're sending our best to this tournament. You're one of our 24 best or 25, whatever the rosters end up being set at. I think it's hard to say no in that case, especially given that the Olympics hopefully will still be on the horizon and, and you know, a country like Canada or the U S or really all these countries they've got a pretty deep field of players to choose from. I mean, I think first of all, it's an honor to be chosen for any of those tournaments. And, and this, the second worry would be, well, if I say no to this one, are they going to leave me on the sidelines for the next one? So um, I don't think anyone will opt out. I mean, I guess there might be a gray area there though, Julian, there, you know, there might be a player when we get close to that event has an injury that maybe he could play through, or maybe he could use that time to rest. I mean, you know, because the, the, the physical nature of the sport, I mean, maybe something like that happens where someone just opts the rest, but I don't think it will be just like, Hey, this isn't the real thing. Call me when it really matters. I, I think that most of the players from these four countries will be honored to be selected. To your point. I mean, I only threw up Marner's just as a random example. I'm thinking of older guys now. Like, could you imagine if Steven Stamkos, whether he's in Tampa Bay or if he's playing somewhere else next year, has himself an incredible season 
and that is his one chance to play for Team Canada at an international at a senior internationals tur- tournament. Like he definitely says yes. I would think so. I mean, if you I, if you ask Steven Stamkos, he'd tell you about how disappointed he is. I'm sure. I mean, I haven't done so, but by the fact that you know, in 2018 there was no Olympics for him. 2022 there was no Olympics for him. 2014 he got injured. He broke his leg. Yeah. Um, you know, in the run up to Sochi and tried to desperately to get back healthy to play in that tournament. And then in 2020, 2010, rather, he was just young and he was one of the last players passed over. Now he did play in the 2016 world cup of hockey and won a gold medal with Canada or won that, won the, that tournament. But, you know, I'm sure he's, he's probably felt like he didn't get, you know, partly through injury and just the way things go. And then, you know, what's happened here in this last, the, the, the period where he's been at the best of his NHL career, there just hasn't been events for him to play in for the most part. Um, so I'm sure that he would be happy to, <laughs> I'm sure he'd be happy to play even if if it's not quite the real thing. And maybe there's something in the back of his mind. I mean, he's still been pretty productive to start this year. Maybe there's a chance he can be there in 2026. You know, I I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's impossible. So I'll, I'll put it that way. Absolutely not. Uh, any thoughts on the salary cap? Uh, it's supposed to be going up next year to 87.7 million. Yeah, I mean the the what you need to know there is basically baked into the agreement that was made during the pandemic. Um, the, the way that the, the cap was calculated, got adjusted in that deal. What, what it said was once the, once the, the, the debt was paid off by players to owners and revenues got back to a certain level, it would go up 5% uh, each season. And so we're currently in the, in the year where finally that debt will be replay, repaid by the players generally to the owners more broadly. And so 5% of, 83 and a half million, which is where the cap is presently takes you to 87.675 million. Uh, so I think it's great news for anyone with an opportunity to sign a contract this summer. I think it's great news for teams that have felt uh, the, the, the pain of a flat cap for a number of years or nearly flat cap for a number of years. And, you know, I think what'll be most interesting to me almost is, is I, you know, it's kind of clear. This is where it's been headed. 87, 88 million can they get another 5% beyond that the following season? Cause you know, that takes you up to, to 92 million, give or take. And you know, that that's a big jump across two years and, and really does flow more, flow, flow more money into the system. And I think give teams more flexibility when it comes to trades or player movement um, moving forward. And so it's a good news event for the league, but there's still challenges on the horizon, right? I mean, this salary, this uh, CBA only goes through 2026 um there's there's all the regional rights carriers in the u.s tv uh, channels that, that have been put into bankruptcy that, that sort of cast some doubt into how much revenue some some teams can get from their local tv rights uh you know the league's got to keep growing but you know i, I will say that the, the overwhelming feeling i got julian at the board of governors and talking to some some people that work for teams is they just feel really good about the general state of the business of the nhl that there aren't a whole lot of fires i mean there's a huge question mark in arizona uh, and that was another uh, thing that was brought up there. It was quite clear that the Coyotes, I, I won't say it's their last final chance, but it feels a little bit like their last final chance to to truly get an arena project off the ground, to get shovels in the ground, to to secure land. And it sounds like they, they've made some progress towards buying a parcel of land uh, in the Phoenix area. And But I think the league's going to need to see more than that. that you know, it, it can't be, oh, we bought this land subject to this approval and this thing and this thing. And, you know, I think that they have to be really moving forward um, to, to, you know, getting an arena built there or the kind of timeline that Gary Bettman sketched out with reporters was, 
you know, they need to know by the time they're making next season schedule where that team's going to be playing. And obviously we're not talking about getting an arena done in, in the Phoenix area for next season. But if, if there's no plans to get an arena done at some point in the near future, we might be talking about relocation of the Coyotes. Okay. Uh, what about uh, the possibility of an in-season tournament in the NHL? It's a, it's a story that uh, Ian Mendez and I worked on. Uh, we talked to a couple of NHL players about it. You asked Gary Bettman if it's something that he might be interested in. Where do you come down on the possibility of having an in-season tournament in the NHL? I love the possibilities it creates. Um, and I do think it does. it's a way to spice up the, the, the calendar a little bit. It's the one reason too, when we go back to talking about, you know, interrupting the 24, 25 season to do even a four nations style tournament. I mean, I think that people will look forward to that break. It'll give us something to talk about who's going to make those teams. Even the players in the league, those that don't participate, will get some time off to, to heal some injuries. It get, you know, I think, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to, to have the schedule broken up a little bit. And, you know, based on how it's been received in the NBA, I mean, I, it seems like the first incarnation of it has been wildly successful. I mean, the players are into it. They each get 500,000 uh, per, per player on the winning team. Um, the, the TV ratings reflect better ratings than what we've seen for the other NBA regular season games this year. Uh, there's, there's a little bit of hype. I love seeing the different courts. I think the way they did it with the Tuesday, Friday games being the ones in November that were for, you know, for the in-season tournament, like I think fans got it. You know, it's a, it's a hard thing to explain. Even when I was first reading about it, I was like, it's hard to wrap my mind around everything, but I, I think they've done a pretty good job, but it doesn't seem like it's come to the NHL <laughs> is, is, is probably the, the high level takeaways is Gary Batman didn't seem inclined. You know, one thing I will say about NBA and NHL, what's the Pistons record right now? Do you have that there? I don't have it in front, but they're on like an 18 game losing. Aren't they streak. like they're, two and 20, give or take? Yeah, they're awful. Awful, awful, awful. The NHL really doesn't have too many truly awful teams. I mean, the nature of any league, there's going to be someone at the bottom when there's someone at the top. But, you know, when we're talking about trade talk in the first block of this show today, I'm saying it's hard to predict because I don't know which teams are going to be in the playoff race when they have to make those decisions. Like, I think that's a good thing for the sport. There's still 25 teams probably, and maybe even a couple more that, that can at least hope to maybe be in a playoff spot in the NHL right now. I feel like the NBA has way less and, and parody can be used in a negative way, but NBA NBA has more truly awful teams that are drawing nobody. And so like, I think things like this spice, like their regular season is more broken in my opinion. And so that was seemed to be Gary Bettman's point to my question was that they don't see a problem. They need fixing with something like this. I do know there are people though in the NHL front office who are more curious about throwing around ideas about seeing what they could borrow from that NBA model. And so it won't surprise me if some point down the road we're having this discussion with more urgency in the NHL. It just doesn't feel like it's happening at the highest levels today. I I, I liked hearing from, even though he was negative on it, but Jamie Ben, uh, I asked him about uh, whether or not he, he wanted this. And I just remember just seeing him just kind of sigh and be like, what's the point? Like, And right. I can imagine that there are guys like him who, at the point of their careers, they just want to stay on the cup. Like, they don't care about playing in some tournament in the middle of the year. But I really think of those guys who are third liners, fourth liners, who are you know not making that much money, or or teams that don't have a history of success. Like if the Arizona Coyotes were to take part in a, in a tournament like this and they were to win the whole thing, 
like that would resonate a lot in that community among that section of fans because they're not expected to compete for a Stanley Cup or anything like that. Like, I feel like there's a section of people and a section of players, a section of teams that would benefit from something like this. I get what you're saying about the quality of teams in the NHL compared to the NBA, but there still is, you know, there's the blue bloods and then there are the have nots. And I still think a tournament like this would still benefit those types of people and teams. I, and I do agree, especially if done right. And I don't have the right formula in front of me today. Like I can't give you the perfect pitch, but I think that there's a lot of opportunity there. The other thing too, the dirty little secret of an 82 game regular season is for the fans, for media members, for the players, like some of the game, the games don't pop, right? Like eventually just kind of feels like the same, the same, the same. And at least even if you're, whether you're on a good or a bad team, like all of a sudden you're like, well, this is the in season tournament game. Like it just gives it a little bit of extra juice. Like, Hey, if like, if we win this tournament, we make some money. Like, I think that even a player like Jamie Ben, like, and, and I can't speak for him, obviously, but it, he might not be considering this fact, but he like he probably goes to Tuesday game in November and insert monotonous NHL city here. It just feels like like the, you know, but just feels like, ah, oh, this like it's just another game. Whereas like yeah. that Tuesday game in November when when there's potentially, you know, a couple hundred grand on the line for every player on the team, you know, like I think it might add a little zip in the locker room, even if again, obviously these guys all do pretty well financially relative to the mean, like it's just it's something else to play for. It's it's, I, th- I think it, it might break things up. And I think there's all kinds of cool concepts you could, could, could come up with in terms of executing it. Um, you know, you could have competitions for teams in Canada, like regionally in the U S you could have an original six kind of competition and, and get those six franchises involved in something you could like, you know, the NHL does, obviously over the years is shown that it, it cares about the rivalries. I think there's a way to play up rivalries, even within some kind of competition or multiple competitions that I, I, it definitely, I think it's worth further conversation and, and thought. And I, I sort of feel like it's inevitable eventually, but it just, it, there's definitely no urgency now. Like, like I was, I was sniffing around a little bit to board of governors on this. Cause I thought it would be, it could be a cool story news story even just because the nba one's coming to its conclusion this week um but it just doesn't seem like it's it's captured the imaginations of the the people that have the most power to 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 make it happen maybe they change their mind if the vegas portion of that nba tournament like really pops off like i'll admit i mean up until this week the in-season tournament for the nba kind of out of sight out of mind i guess because you're you know that's what happens when you're focusing on NHL teams, but watching Indiana versus Boston this week, like for whatever reason, like that's the game that popped off. That's the game that made me realize, okay, this tournament really is working out. And there are a whole bunch of other people that felt the same way too. Yeah, exactly. And and look at, this is a business at the end of the day. If, if the NBA finds a way to make all kinds of money on this, that that'll look pretty good to the people that sit in the board of governors meeting at the NHL and might be like, Hey, there's a chance here to, to boost revenues. And I think everyone's benefits when you boost revenues, obviously that those are shared between players and owners. Like that's, it's not a bad thing to admit that you're, you're trying to find ways to make more money. I mean, that's ultimately what the whole point of this is. I mean, on, on one level, it's about trying to win this, the big shiny trophy, but on another, everybody's, everybody's putting some money in their pockets while doing so. Also, I did not expect uh, a Detroit Pistons mention at any point of today's show. They have a two and 19 record by the way. Yeah. And, and apparently there's like three or 4,000 people going to their home games. Like, you know, we don't have situations like that in the NHL, like in the NHL, we're freaking out because 
Winnipeg's drawing 12,000 fans, but you know, at present, I mean, I guess the closest is the coyotes just because of the, you know, the, the, the restricted amount of people that can get inside mullet arena because it's a college rink. But in general, I mean, I, I, I think that the, the NHL is in a healthier state with the way the competition works and, and the engagement of fans. That being said, we're, they're not doing business on the level of the NBA for a whole host of reasons too. No. Um, let's move on to Patrick Kane, who should be making his uh, Detroit Red Wings debut tonight. Uh, are you excited for that? That story, uh, I know you've been on that for some time. You correctly predicted he would become a Detroit Red Wing. Uh, thoughts on uh, Kane finally getting the suit up uh, with the uh, winged wheel on his chest? Yeah, I think it's going to be cool. It might be a little weird to see him wearing that winged wheel, although, you know, you, you saw him in a Chicago sweater for years. Obviously, he wore a Rangers sweater at the end of last season. Um, this sort of thing happens, but I, I don't know if you're if you've grow, grown up as a huge Kane fan in the Chicago area. It's probably going to be a little, little strange to see him, you know, representing Detroit now. But you know, I think given what he's been through, I'm I'm very curious. I'm curious on two levels, right? I mean, we're talking about arguably the greatest U.S.-born player in NHL history, and so seeing him add to that legacy, it, you know, I think changes that conversation is part of what people are looking for. The second though, is a lot of players have hip issues, Julian, and yeah. the nature of the sport and, and how much these guys train nowadays, how much they, they play hockey from a young age and, and don't maybe do the multi-sport thing as much, you know, the way hockey, think about the skating motion. It, it puts a lot of pressure on hips. And so, you know, I, I know that this resurfacing surgery that they they feel they've made some improvements to it. Um, but, but no player has really had much of a career, post-surgery yet again we're dealing with a very limited sample i'm not predicting it can't happen but i think patrick kane could give hope to a lot of players that need that kind of procedure i mean look we, we started the show talking about john klingberg needed hip surgery you've got yes. yesi Yarvi coming back from hip surgery matt murray recently had hip surgery he's out for the year um there's there's all kinds of guys that that need this this sort of procedure and try to delay it Maybe Patrick Kane, if, if he can come back and be successful, can be kind of a beacon of hope for them. And hopefully there's some lessons that can be learned from the way he rehab the injury and all that. So I think it's like I'm curious about the player and the impact he can have on this particular team at a time when the, the Red Wings do appear to be, you know, trending up. You know, they miss a playoff seven years in a row. Like there's a real cool opportunity for them, you know, with, if him and Debrinket, you know, get the band back together and, and, you know, create a little bit more buzz in hockey town. But I think there's also a broader thing to be learned or followed here about, you know, the, some hope for, for lots of players that, that unfortunately run into hip issues in their career and, you know, are, are uh, going to try some, draw some inspiration from Patrick. Okay. And uh, one last thing before we get to stick taps today, uh, Jacques Martin uh, rejoining the Ottawa Senators uh, this time in a senior advisor role, a long time coach of the franchise, uh, some great memories in the two thousands with him as head coach there. Uh, also coached the Montreal Canadiens once upon a time, too. Uh, would love to know your thoughts on uh, Jacques Martin uh, returning to the Ottawa Senators franchise. Well, I was part of a scrum with Michael Anlauer, the Senators owner, uh, while I was in Seattle. And one of the takeaways that I had from that, and this is reading between the lines of the, what, what he was, how he was responding to the questions a little bit. But, you know, he was saying essentially that I think there's a feeling that these Senators staffers that have been with the organization for years haven't had all the proper resources to truly maximize what they can do to, to, to get the organization to the next level. And that Ann Lauer as a new owner wants to give those resources. And I, and, you know, I couldn't help but see the announcement 
when, when Jacques Rattan is unveiled as, as a senior advisor of the coaching staff as an example of something that wasn't happening under the previous ownership regime in Ottawa. And so, you know, I think more and more teams will look to do this. I mean, there, there's a few out there. Ken, uh, Ken Hitchcock is involved as sort of an advisor with, with the St. Louis coaching staff. Uh, Dave Tippett helps out Seattle. Uh, the Leafs have had Paul McLean in recent years. I believe that's, that's ceased being a relationship, but you know, really, when you're leaning on veteran coaches that have been through it all, that can be another set of eyes on your games, you know, often from afar might see some things might be able to offer up some ideas to the coaching staff, certainly some almost support because I don't think we could appreciate what it's like to be an NHL head coach, unless you're in the role. I mean, every day you're running meetings, you're, you're obviously meeting individually with players, you're managing a lot of different competing things. You're speaking to the media like I could see how you you almost just get like tunnel vision because there's so many things on your daily checklist you got to get through and, and you might miss the forest for the trees. And so I think it's interesting, obviously, with Martin's history with that team, but also the Senators, they've only played 20 games, man. Like they sit at the bottom of the standings technically, but they they have played a lot less than other teams in the league and, and their season is far from a write-off. And while I know that there's been people chanting for DJ Smith's name to be fired inside the arena can entire center, it seems to me that, that ownership wants to see more before making that kind of decision. And, and this is a small step towards maybe, you know, just augmenting the coaching staff with, with someone who is an experienced hand and, and can, can suggest some things and maybe help them through some situations that DJ hasn't had before. And quite frankly, I do think this is going to be more of a trend you see elsewhere in the league. Just, I mean, we have so many veteran GMs become sort of senior advisors or take on roles in, in hockey operations departments. It, it kind of makes sense to me. You've got a lot of coaches that, that coached a lot of games in the NHL that, that they can still be a resource, uh, you know, in, in their sort of semi-retirement years. And that's where Martin is at age 71 and taking this job with Ottawa. Okay. And with that, we have reached the stick taps portion of our show. Do you know of anyone who is deserving of a stick tap or a cross check? Sometimes we pull out the cross check option if we feel we want to just, you know, take it to somebody, but we typically use the stick tap option. Yeah, I'm more of a lover than a fighter, so I'll go with a stick tap. And uh, mm -hmm. I'll give mine to, to Kelly Chase, a uh, longtime NHL. He's a player. He worked for the Blues organization for years. And I was reminded uh, that he's going through a, a cancer battle. The, the the Blues put something out on their, their social feeds, um, reminding me of that. And, and you know, worked with Kelly once upon a time at the NHL Network in the early days of my career. And obviously, crossed paths with him a lot over the years. Really well-liked guy. And so... Uh, hockey fights cancer month ended with the, the calendar turning to December, but it's the fight doesn't end, uh, or, and the attention shouldn't for that. So just wanted to send Kelly my best and, uh, hope things are, hope things are going well. I will give my, uh, stick tap to Christine Sinclair, uh, the best soccer player this country has ever produced playing her final game internationally for Canada, uh, this week, uh, at BC place. Uh, the all-time leading goal scorer at the international level as well. Uh, again, her international career coming to an end, riding off into the sunset. An incredible advocate for the game of soccer in this country. I know it's a different sport, but I think this is the perfect opportunity uh, for us to show love to one of the greatest Canadian athletes ever produced. So uh, stick taps to Christine Sinclair, the legend that she is. Boom. Looked like a cool event. I only caught the highlights, but it looked like uh, the send-off yeah. was pretty good. Yeah, it did look really cool. And with that, uh, we'll be back on Monday. We will have Ask CJ. Get your questions in now, whether on Discord, on X. Are you on threads yet? Eh. 
Like I okay. opened an I opened an account, but like nothing's okay. really happening there. You wait. You wait until it turns into a cool club. Like you're, you're the dude who's all like, okay, I see well, a couple people. I'm just in saying, there. I'm like, still I'm getting trying. what I need at X. Like I still, I still, I'm on on Twitter on X. I think it works anyway. All right. Uh, <laughs> you you like that? Do you do you go to? Are you for with parties? Do you go to parties on time? Or do you like go like an hour or two hours late? No, I go on time. I'm I'm very punctual. I'm just saying I'm not convinced it's going to take off. I I don't honestly see anything better over there. All you can say is that it's different, but like, I don't see any improvement to the social media. Like I, I, I don't see a compelling reason to change and I don't okay. have time. To, I don't have time to go through seven different things when I'm yeah. tweeting out news or sending out news. So yeah. anyway, that's anyway, you uh, open up a can of worms here and you didn't even give me a chance to say, I hope Shohei Tani becomes a blue Jay, but hopefully by the time, fudge, no, 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 but no, no, I will no, say, no, hopefully no, by the time no, we do no, Monday no, show, no, no. no stop, we don't need stop, to go in on stop. this. We've no, been up, it's, yes, it's been a long do. show. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. I did no. say you would get you you would get an Otani corner. You have I don't to. need a corner. I'm just I'm just trying to manifest. Uh, I just hope by the time we do I'm Monday's sorry. show, we've had a big announcement. We'll be all jazzed up, and maybe we can touch on it then. I'm sorry. I did say I did ask if you wanted one, and you were open to it, and I should have stuck to that. I'm sorry. It's the all biggest right. gaffe. I, I'm it's just the biggest gaffe I've done on the show. It's no. the biggest gaffe I've done. I'm sorry. I'm just I'm with many in these parts hoping that it happens. So it seems like the Jays are right there at the end. Finish the deal. Finish the deal. I mean, you're not going to get one soda, right? So it, it, you I'm have fine to with get that. It. I'm fine. You're, with you're that. fine with that? Yes, because he was going to be a rental player and he wasn't going to resign in Toronto. And so it would have been one year of a sugar rush, but it would not have been enough. Bring Maybe. Otani to the Jays. Done. Man. Uh well, that, that works as our Otani corner. Uh, if you have uh, good vibes to send to CJ and Blue Jays Nation, uh, for, for a, a franchise who desperately wants Shohei Otani to join them, uh, please send them uh, through Twitter or through Discord or through any other means of communication. They can send uh, it through threads. I just won't see it there. <laughs> oh man i'm on threads it's okay it's starting to build up we'll see i'm just i'm just starting to get the different you know hands of different baskets just in case twitter implodes you know you never know anyway uh subscribe to our podcast however you listen to our show whether on spotify apple Podcasts, whatever and subscribe to the stpn youtube channel i don't know if we've reached a hundred thousand subscribers yet but uh I think we're getting there. I know the boys want the the gray play button that you get from YouTube when you reach that threshold. So let's help them get to that uh, number. CJ, always a pleasure. Talk to you on Monday, buddy. For CJ, I'm Julian. So long. Peace. Bring Shohei Otani to Toronto. Make this man happy. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook. Always remember to bet local. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter, at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie, at JK and McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.